Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Think you know Ron DeSantis? Think again. In Congress, DeSantis voted three separate times to cut Social Security. That's right, three times over three years. Worse, DeSantis voted to cut Medicare two times. DeSantis even voted to raise the retirement age to 70. The more you learn about DeSantis, the more you see he doesn't share our values. He's just not ready to be president. Make America Great Again Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. Donald Trump is being attacked by a Democrat prosecutor in New York. So why is he spending millions attacking the Republican governor of Florida? Trump's stealing pages from the Biden-Pelosi playbook, repeating lies about Social Security. Here's the truth from Governor Ron DeSantis. We're not going to mess with Social Security as Republicans. What did Trump say? Entitlements ever be on your plane? At some point they will be. We will take a look at that. Trump should fight Democrats, not lie about Governor DeSantis. What happened to Donald Trump? Never back down Inc. is responsible for the contents of this ad. Jeepers, Axe. I was really leaning toward one of those guys till I heard that (laughs) ad. And there's a rumor about pudding out there. I hope they don't do an ad about that. Listen, it's uh, spring training is over. We're into the season now, right? The uh, the spikes are out. The two big dogs are going at it. And speaking of a big dogs, oh. we have we have one ourselves today. Jay Martin, Jonathan Martin from Politico, Ajax, one of the great uh, political scribes in our country, joining he us today. Covers the galaxy where there's a political story. He will be there. Thank you for joining us, Jonathan. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Axe. Good to be on. Uh, what a great time to talk some politics, too, huh? Yeah. Well, <laughs> listen, you know, we've been talking for some time. These guys have been circling each other, uh, and they, they're sucking up a lot of oxygen in the Republican race, the very nascent Republican race right now. But these, Murphy, these are pretty, uh, you know, these are pretty contentious ads to be running in April of the year before the election. Yeah, I, I think it's incredibly stupid. Th- these ads are are therapy animals for the two campaign staffs and the two candidates. Trump knows he's in a weaker position. He's lashing out. I thought, I, let's put the pudding ad aside. I don't know if we have audio on that, which is one of the stupidest Mention things. Mention what ever that seen. is. Well, it is allegedly one of the men, uh, people are saying, people are talking, I'm hearing it that DeSantis somehow ate pudding with his hands. I'm not sure. But they went out to an insert stage and got some pudding and had some actor eating it with his fingers. And, you know, they're all they're all giggling and, and slapping each other in the back at Trump headquarters. But uh, fundamentally, the first move here, and Jonathan weigh in, was the, the, the Trump guys took the, the, the Social Security whack on DeSantis. This is the beginning of what will be a long, or maybe not so long if he crumbles, attack on his congressional voting record, where he's got a lot of votes like that. And I have used Social Security attacks successfully in Republican statewide primaries. So that was the Trump move. And then DeSantis did the 42 pounds of ad and a 30 pound bag spot. Well, another thing, you know, he loved uh, uh, Trump uh, uh, attacking another Republican. So I thought the response said was pretty awful, but it's too early. This is a parlor game on Fox for insiders. They're both burning up cash on it. And to me, it shows a lack of discipline in both campaigns. Yeah, I don't think that this is going to ultimately have a huge impact on on the votes in Iowa uh, in New Hampshire, but I think it does send something uh, of a warning to both DeSantis and 
kind of Republican insiders following the stuff this closely this early that Trump is going to be Trump. This guy is going to come take mm-hmm. a chunk out of you every day and twice on Sundays, and you better be ready for it. And so uh, it's like, uh, you know, Murphy, it, it, you said it was like, uh, it was like, uh, you know, a therapy animal for the, the consultants, of the campaigns. I think for DeSantis, it's kind of like two days in football practice. Like you better get in shape, man, because these are your, <laughs> you got to get in shape now <laughs> yeah, for, for, yeah. for the season. And these are kind of the forced calisthenics that, that coach, coach Don's putting you through, you know? Yeah. And it's the, and this was a predictable attack. It, it, uh, it speaks to the way the Republican Party has changed, right? Because this would have been a Democratic attack. It isn't a Democratic attack. <laughs> it still will be. But, exactly. uh, you know, Trump <laughs> uh, Trump has uh, become, was from the beginning of his, from when he came down the escalator, defender of entitlements. Right. And uh, And this is a contrast that works for him. You know, what was interesting to me, Murphy, you know, you, we were like trained professionals. We listen to the words, the music, all that stuff. But the line in the DeSantis spot was interesting to me, uh, what happened to Donald Trump, because he's trying to give a permission slip to voters yeah. who've supported Trump to walk away from Trump. He hasn't, you haven't changed, he's changed. Uh, you know, it was okay to be for him then. He's different now. Yeah, no, no, look, I, that is the part of the ad that made the most sense. I would have built the whole ad around that rather than the the speed talk that the average 104-year-old Republican primary voter is going to fly right by him. But that is it, that it is, you don't, if you vote against Trump in the primary, doesn't mean you hate Trump. We can give him a medal and send him to the old warrior's home here. And so that that is the wedge. I don't think the ad made that case, but it it got to that conclusion, which is good psychology of what you've got to do. It's not the anti-Trump lane that has power. It's the beyond Trump lane in the primaries that has all the opportunity. Yeah, the uh, then the tagline on the uh, DeSantis spot, just not ready to be president, is also meaningful because I think that's the case they're going to, like, he's not up to this. He's not, you know... He, he, he's not, he's not, uh, doesn't belong at the big boys table. It, it, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. Speaking of DeSantis. And by the way, Axe, on that point, I think DeSantis beat some of that, uh, by getting into. That's a, not a pudding reference, is it? Uh, exactly. Into a mud wrestling, uh, not a pudding wrestling, a mud wrestling match with Disney. Uh, you're litigating, you know, roller coaster, uh, regulations. And, and Trump can say, you know, I did the Abraham Accords. I've been involved in big boy, you know, uh, geopolitics. Now we can litigate how involved he was, but he can make that case. And you're talking about the size of the rebel yell down at Epcot, man. You know, it, it, <laughs> you can yes. see, you can see the contours of Trump's offense. That's a good point because DeSantis is doing dime store Trump. He's not doing president above or super no. gets it done. He's just another culture warrior who's younger. So, you know, the idea that he's instantly ready in a contrast to Trump, he's not built that story. Yeah. You know, I was going to pull some uh, sound I didn't from uh, DeSantis's press conference yesterday. Uh, just to bring people up to date, DeSantis is at war with Disney because Disney uh, uh, spoke out against uh, the uh, – uh, the bill that would uh, prohibit any sort of 
reference to gender and uh, sex and uh, uh, in early childhood education in Florida. Uh, Democrats call it the "Don't Say Gay" bill. Is that what they what they uh, uh, call it? But uh, he has just been relentlessly warring on Disney, and he tried to take away governance of the Disney site from from Disney. Uh, they outwitted him uh, with some parliamentary maneuvers, uh, and now he's furious and he's threatening. Yesterday, he he talked about uh, taking over the inspection of uh, rides at Disney from Disney, which is probably not a good idea, by the way. Uh, and uh, beyond that, there was some sound I want to pull where he s- sort of half joked about maybe we should put a state prison next to Disneyland. I mean, the the inspectors thing kind of remind me. I'm from Chicago. Murphy mentions that all the time. I remember the day when uh, the old Mayor Daley used to send his inspectors to inspect uh, the businesses of businessmen who who did not uh, comply with his wishes. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Uh, and boy, I'll tell you what, man. I don't know, Murphy, in your party, there are yeah, a whole bunch look, of- Yeah, I think it's a, a stumble. You know, land use people have studied Reedy Creek, which is what Disney did down there for years. They do have the best deal in the history of the planet. They, they basically have total governmental control there. In fact, if you walk down one of the boulevards and look upstairs, you see all these cute names in a window. It looks like set, you know, the Ye Olde Candy Cane Company, Smiles and Giggles, Hot Dog, Inc. Those are the names of the shell corporations they used to buy up all the land cheap when they built Disney World. Those Disney guys are sharp operators. And the thing is built in, in a way it's hard to screw with. And DeSantis has decided to start this land war in Asia that I think a big chunk of the Republican Party is, why are you going after a private company like this? Because they didn't, didn't want to be a PR stunt for your presidential campaign. So if I were him, I'd declare victory on that and march on. Yeah, well, he, uh, shall we say, is engaged in sort of Mickey Mouse tactics here. That, oh, uh, drones. All right, it had to happen. I mean, it was, it's cheap, it's, it's obvious, but it had to be said. Yeah, it's going to be a real roller coaster ride for him. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but but bottom line is he's got a culture warrior strategy, trying to be the Trump understudy. And you know what the problem every time? And we learned this. We spent millions for Jeb on National Fox attacking Trump, something that was often lost by our opponents. They didn't carry any of that weight. Um, when you hit Trump, the problem is you you have eight other Trump alternatives. So it's not like you're in a zero. This is not a DeSantis-Trump race. And I think what we're missing with all this national stuff is what's going on in the early primary states, which are going to set the narrative. And we'll get to that in a little bit. Because you, you were in Iowa. The other thing that uh, DeSantis did was he, he uh, ran a, uh, a web ad around the NRA convention, uh, uh, J-Mart, uh, attacking uh, Trump. Uh, and accusing Trump of being insufficiently committed to the Second Amendment and to the NRA, yeah. using some tape from that one yeah. weird exchange he had at the White House. Meanwhile, Trump shows up at the NRA and gets a hero's welcome. So, you know, you got to wonder whether that's a smart expenditure. Well, it acts, this is the bigger problem with trying to hit Trump on being insufficiently uh, either pure on conservatism or at least true to his principles. And here's two examples, right? One's the obvious one, the gun stuff. Look, 
everybody who covered uh, politics knows that, you know, Ivanka Trump was pushing her dad and her dad was totally willing to entertain gun restrictions uh, after the uh, the shooting to Dayton and El Paso uh, when he was president. Uh, that was reported at the time. Um, and I think that's what the scientist is trying to highlight is Trump went wobbly on guns. And then you know, the other issue that you hear is, well, you know, Trump's budget proposal every year as president would have cut entitlements. And here's the problem, guys. A lot of rank and file voters, they either don't know, they don't believe it, or they don't care about whether Trump went wobbly on guns or whether or not his OMB sent up <laughs> blueprints of the Hill that would have cut entitlements. Because that's not the point for Trump, right? It's just not the point. They like him because they like him. And the details of where he is or was on policy, it, it's just very tough to break through on those kinds of hits. Yeah, tr- they're running the old Cruz 2016 strategy, which, frankly, a lot of us in the beginning thought might work. You go after, oh, he gave money to Schumer. He's pro-choice. He, he wants an assault weapon ban. All the usual Republican primary laser swords. And, he, he, oh, Cruz will slice them up. And because Trump was a movement about bigger things, they bounced off him. Now, the question is, now that Trump is older and crazier and the thrill is gone, you know, will some of that work? I, I'm still kind of with Jonathan. I think the standard Republican primary issue hits on Trump are, are weak. Yeah, I, I agree. I think move beyond is strong. As somebody who was part of the press corps that covered the Democratic primary in 2019, 2020, we, we spilled so much damn ink on uh, policy and Democrats racing to the left that, boy, is Warren going to release her own health care plan or just copy <laughs> And you know what? Democratic voters, for the most part, didn't give a damn. They wanted somebody who could win the general election. And you know whether Trump was true to his intentions uh, on protecting entitlements or when wobbly on guns, I just wonder if we're, and I say we collectively here, if we're kind of missing the sort of larger issue, which is either the Republican primary voter is going to be worried that Trump can't win a general or they'll think he can't. And that's really the big question here. And everything else is second, you know? Yeah. And one one footnote to the media. I've been around the NRA politics for a long time on both sides, really. Don't confuse the NRA convention with the pro-Second Amendment Republican primary vote. The NRA is huge internal politics. They're actually kind of in a real divided position now. And the people who buy a ticket to go to the convention, the five or 600 of them, are the hobbyist class of the super activist gun people. It's not a complete mirror of of how pro-Second Amendment politics works. We do have some tape of of the big gun at the NRA, uh, Wayne LaPierre, Roll this, because there's something that struck me as really kind of funny about it. I don't care how many billionaires, TikTok stars, or Hollywood airheads they've got. Hear this. Gun-hating politicians should never go to bed unafraid of what this association and all of our millions of members can do to their political careers. So... (laughs) First of all, I find it amusing that Wayne LaPierre, who's raped the NRA. Yeah, he's been trying to become becoming a billionaire. A billionaire. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Is hitting billionaires. Exactly. It's a business. But the second piece of it is, you know, I, I, I am increasingly of the mind that uh, 
you know, Republicans are painting themselves in a corner as they did last year uh, on the issues of abortion rights and guns when, you know, suburban voters are becoming increasingly uh, a battleground for them. And, uh, you know, but every, virtually every Republican candidate or every Republican wannabe showed up at that NRA convention. Mike Pence showed up and took a booing. Uh, I guess he turned the crowd after a while, but, uh, you know, they all were there. Well, or by video, some of them didn't show up for the train collector. Yes, that's right. That's true. That's true. But yeah, we're, we're see, suburban voters don't like guns, but the only election I've ever seen really turn on it is when Toomey survived in Pennsylvania because of, he had been different than most and built an identity on that in the Philly suburbs, which uh, it, there was a big Bloomberg IE we did, so I tracked the polling on it. Uh, we will see. On abortion, look, I agree. Right now it's the disaster for the party. I just saw a post-election on the Wisconsin Senate race. Ugh. But what they're all going to land on in the general, so we'll see how long memories are, is I'll pass the most pro-life bill that can get to my desk, which is code for that can get through Congress. Uh, so you're going to see some some neck-snapping pivoting on this, and we'll see if the early definition lasts to the general. Foreign recession, I don't think it'll be about abortion, but we will see. They're playing a dangerous game. Yeah, and you can see it playing out in some of the comments of both candidates for president and current lawmakers because the vocabulary they have is now insufficient for where the issue is today. And by yeah, exactly. that, I mean, they, they are trained to say, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-life, which is sort of the like, uh, you know, get out of jail free card and you can just sort of change the topic after right. saying pro-life. But now it's like, okay, I'm pro-life. Well, okay, that's fine. But like, do you want a national ban or do you want to leave this up to the states? And if you do want a ban, where should the restrictions be during the course of the pregnancy? I mean, I saw a comment from Nancy Mace over the weekend on one of the Sunday shows in which she says in the same sentence, I'm pro-life and we should have a uh, 12 to 15 month ban. Well, if you truly believe that abortion is the taking of a life, then how can you say in the same breath that you're pro-life but want legal abortion for at least the first trimester of a pregnancy? It just doesn't make any sense. Those are the kind of tricky press questions that you and the mainstream media use to divert right. attention from, uh, yeah, it, it's a nightmare. It's just very uncomfortable now because they're actually not pro-life. They're, they're for legal abortion in the first trimester. But you can't be a Republican and say it that way, right? I had Asa Hutchinson on the Axe Files that's going up on Thursday, uh, and we had a, you know, we had a quite a discussion on this because he signed, you know, one of the may, maybe the strictest uh, uh, abortion law in the country. It was a trigger law that went into effect after Roe. Perhaps I never thought that would happen; that Roe would right. fall. But it it does not include exceptions even for rape and incest. He says that he would have liked that, but the legislature wouldn't go along with that. Um, but he, you know, uh, and, you know, it, it was a very awkward uh, discussion. I think that uh, there's a, you know, they are, they are the dogs that caught the car on this one. Yes. And I think it's going to have lingering. I, I disagree. I, Mike, look, anything can happen. If the economy collapses, you know. If there's a recession, sure. that, that, but this, you know, I think this one, uh, uh, I think this one has, uh, 
durability. I just think there's there's a real sense, particularly we're, we're, we're obviously seeing, among women voters, but not just limited to them, and with younger voters. No, I agree with all that, which is why if they don't pivot, they've created a monster. The guy who's got the biggest problems, DeSantis. Trump will totally pivot. He'll be late term if you can add next. Um, Tim Scott has left a lot of breadcrumbs about whatever can pass Congress. DeSantis has a sick week, six week thing out there with his name on it. Yes, and that one that's going to be hard to wait. After out. proudly signing a fifteen week bill and then doing this one in the middle of the night. And I'll tell you something, if you want to look like the strong man, don't get led around by the nose on issues like this. Uh, it's just one more of an, a, a series of things that make you question whether DeSantis is a stretch runner here in this race. Yeah, especially in a general election. A lot of these Republican candidates could have what I call the Kamala Harris disease, which is until they entered national politics, they've never met a general election swing voter in any meaningful way where their own future was connected to it. You know, they know the world of their own party better. And, uh, you know, that can be a rude awakening in a general election. You know, if I can just uh, you know come back for for a second um, to what I mentioned a minute ago about this sort of twenty thousand foot issue of who can win a general election that was so dominant with Democrats in twenty, and I think is sort of the elephant in the room this time around for Republicans in twenty four, um, uh, if you will, is somebody who has not been outspoken on this issue, but I think there's an opportunity there, and that's Nikki Haley, who is the only woman running for the Republican nomination. She's not going to, you know, wake up tomorrow and walk away from being anti-abortion. But boy, you know, there's got to be a tactical way with this issue so clearly being a challenge for her party to to make the case as to why Republicans should nominate a woman who can speak about the issue in ways that you know even Democratic men. Yeah, uh, no, it's I, ready made for. I agree. I.e., the incumbent president would have a hard time talking about. You know. All right, we're going to leave for a minute to pay the power bill, and then we'll be right back. So, Murphy, I don't want to hurt your feelings, okay? Mm. But uh, I want to tell you about my best friend, and it's not you. <laughs> well, I only have two legs. Let me guess. My best friend is the greatest dog on the planet. His name is Mac, and he is just the very best. So I want the very best for him. And he can be a picky eater, mm. I, I have to tell you. You know, I want to make sure that he eats and that he's healthy. And so that brings me to the subject of Maeve. Tell me more, because Dolly and Daisy over at the Murphy House are for the best food, too. And I'm rooting for Mac. I know, Mac, we both vote in the same precinct in your hotel, <laughs> okay, but go ahead. Right. You did it. You I did got it. it in. Did you know that a dog eating kibble every single day is like a human consuming a diet of 100% processed foods, which is how we lived for years on the road? But mm. no matter your species... Fillers, additives, and synthetics are not optimal sources of nutrition. So enter Mave Raw Food for Dogs. And this is the key. Formulated by PhD veterinary nutritionists with real human-grade ingredients you can name just by looking. Plus, it's bite-sized and ready for your dog to eat right out of the bag. No mess, no prep. Just open, pour, and enjoy. 
Yeah, and let's face it, listeners, you love your dog like we love ours and Axe yes. loves his, but none of us are veterinarians, so sometimes you try to game the system without knowledge. Maybe you feed them kibble recommended by somebody or a fresh food diet, but did you know these are often low in protein, high in carbs, and are the leading cause of weight, mobility, dental and skin conditions. That's where Maeve comes in. Your dog is biologically primed to digest and absorb key nutrients from an unprocessed, low-carb, high-protein, raw meat diet, just like Gibbs. And Maeve's raw food diet is formulated to meet your dog's needs. When in doubt, call it raw. Yeah, dogs need unprocessed, high-protein, low-carb diets that kibble and fresh foods just don't deliver. Maeve is a protein-rich, raw food for dogs it's just as easy as kibble, and it's supplemented for seven essential health benefits, including gut health, immune function, oral hygiene, which is important, skin and coat health, hip and joint health, mental health and anxiety, and growth and early development. Man, I think I'm going to eat this. Plus, it's good for better dog breath. And yes. that is something we can all enjoy. Most dog parents see results in 28 days or left. Plus, no mess, no prep, no thawing. Just open pour and serve and listen to the happy, happy barking. It's all that easy. So how do we get some Maeve? What do we do? What do we call? What do we, what do, we do online? Well, we make the switch to raw today is what we do. And uh-huh. right now, Maeve is offering $40 off your first order mm. at meetmave.com slash hacks. Go to meetmave.com slash hacks. Hey, Axelrod, how do you spell that? That's spelled M-E-E-T-M-A-E-V to receive $40 off your first order. That's meetmaev.com slash hacks. H-A-C-K-S. So, Murphy, you were tromping around uh, Iowa, your old stomping grounds. So give us your report from the field. Well, I was in my old stomping ground, too, and yours. We've run yeah. a couple of governor races against each other yes, there, and yes, I've been involved yes. in a couple of caucuses, so I'm an honorary Iowan. I was out there to give the John Culver lecture at Simpson College, which I believe you, too, have done, Axe, in the past. They're still mad about it. Um, I told you, no, he's a good guy. Don't, but then, why are we all <laughs> voting in Chicago? We gave him our names, and now... Uh, but anyway, so I spent a little time uh, in the center and east side of the state, didn't get out west, and I uh, met a bunch of political hacks. So as you know, a whole bunch come down from Des Moines uh, for the Culver speech, and uh, then, of course, the bars of uh, Des Moines and other places are always open. By the way, I got to the hotel Fort Des Moines, and I heard the at like 1130 at night, and they had a drink in the lobby bar, and I heard the 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 clicking and clanking of heels quickly moving across a marble floor with the kind of speed and ambition that only a presidential candidate can have. And I look, and there's Nikki Haley tearing across. The next morning, I got out of the elevator, clickety-clank, there's Nikki again. She's working hard. So anyway, here's what stunned me. And I went in there thinking what I would hear was a lot of the indictment on cable TV, on Fox, giving Trump a second wind. He's coming back. All the hacks I talked to, and these were not all, you know, Trump-hating, never-Trump Republicans. People with a lot of experiences. Some had been candidates. Some young 20-somethings who were very deep into the field world were around last time. None of them think Trump's going to win the caucus. 
I, I was pretty surprised by that. They're like, look, there are two big armies here, the regulars, conservative, and the Christians, and they all smell loser on them. The Christians think they're going to find somebody better because they think Biden's very vulnerable, but the war is so important. Uh, and the regulars think he's a surefire loser and they're exhausted. So I could have gone out west in particular or maybe up to Lynn or Blackout County and found some county chairman or county committee people who are still very red hat for Trump. But the odds makers who live in this, I was stunned at how unanimous it was that they think Trump is there for the taking. I wrote about this in the bulwark, which is out today. There's also the question of when the Dems got rid of the Iowa caucus, he got 170 some, I think 172,000 Democrats who voted in a caucus in, in 16. And, uh, what are they going to do? You know, it's a civic thing there. It's Iowa. People take the caucus. I had an Uber driver who could list all the candidates. Um, so I, do I think 172,000 are going to come over? No, but I think 15, 20% of them could. Uh, and the Iowa legislatures on the Republican side think it too, because they're trying to move a bill. The party used to always use the caucuses as a recruitment device for Republicans. You could show up sign up as a Republican, you're in the caucus. They're trying to move it to a 70-day delay, but you can still switch party registrations in and out online in about five minutes in Iowa. So we could have a big caucus, a different caucus, I think a hostile caucus for Trump, and I can make an argument for any of the non-Trumpers could, could break through. And as his first contest, as I write in the bulwark, they're going to hoist him up on a livestock scale. And we're going to find out for all the Washington talk about how strong Trump is. If he loses an Iowa caucus, and some people there think he could come in third. I mean, they just smell death on him. Uh, and then loses New Hampshire. It's a whole new race. So anyway, you can read in detail in the bulwark. But I... I was surprised. I thought I'd heard a lot about New York indictment and all that. And, you know, it's the classic story out there. It, it's the big fundamental issues and it's winner loser. A lot like what you, you know, at the end of the Democratic primary, when you take Biden apart, they thought he could win. Yep. Shamart, the question is, there, are, there, is a, there is a Trump or bust core of Republicans. Yes. And the question is how large? I mean, he only got 24% of the voters That's something right. in Iowa last time. Yes. So that it wasn't it wasn't necessarily his turf in the first place. Anytime I hear two of you guys talk about Iowa, I get really excited that we're going to have like a half an hour sidebar on the Jim Ross, Lightfoot, Tom Bilsack, Gov race. <laughs> I guess we'll save that for a different day, perhaps. Uh, We've got to do a live show there at the Mullet or Simpson College or the the Machine okay. Shed or somewhere, all, all right, of which are well it. known to Jonathan. No, but actually, you know, in all seriousness. Uh, there should be like a political version of the uh, ESPN 30 for 30 documentary series on like <laughs> classic cycles. And like a bunch of Culver, like the 1980 Senate races are, are an obvious one, right? Like John yeah. Culver losing yeah. to Grassley and Frank Church and McGovern. And, right. Uh, 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 but that's uh, its its own digression. Look, I covered the 2016 caucus in Iowa uh, and... It's fascinating because you had a fractured establishment race in which Rubio was basically the top dog and Rubio carries basically all of the cities uh, uh, in Iowa, or at least the kind of high education places, um, you know, Iowa State, University of Iowa, Des Moines itself, suburban Des Moines, Dallas County. Uh, and then Trump and Cruz split up the rest of the state. And so it's kind of a three-way race. And I kind of wonder 
uh, what the dynamic will be uh, this time. And I, I guess what I mean by that is, can somebody, whether it's DeSantis or somebody else, merge the kind of the regulars, as Murphy would call them, the college educated Republicans in the cities with the evangelicals, the old Dutch, you know, crowd in Northwest Iowa, uh, and the farmers, um, in central, uh, and, and southern Iowa and, and put together a kind of coalition that basically fuses what Rubio and Cruz had in 16 and, and defeat Trump. Because look, Trump's going to be strong in, in, in the sort of river cities, especially in the east on the Mississippi, where it's much more old factory towns, blue collar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's going to be his strength. There's a reason why he went to Davenport right out of the gates. And the question to me is, can somebody sort of fuse the, the two elements of, of the party out there? Uh, Murphy's pal, Doug Gross and the Terry Brandsteads, the traditional pre-Trump guys, along with the, 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 the real evangelicals, because that'd be hell of a coalition. So Murphy, who is that person? You, you've, ch- you've touted Tim Scott here uh, before, and he, he an, uh, announced a, an exploratory committee uh, I guess last week, and I think you cut some some of that. Yeah, video well, let's down. listen to what I think the money line was, and then I'll talk about what he's doing in Iowa. I know America is a land of opportunity, not a land of oppression. I know it because I've lived it. That's why it pains my soul to see the Biden liberals attacking every rung of the ladder that helped me climb. If the radical left gets their way, millions more families will be trapped in failing schools, crime-ridden neighborhoods, and crushing inflation. Not on my watch. So he's interesting to me because he's the, I think, the most powerful non-grievance conservative running, although you heard a little good partisan grievance in his in his soundbite. His announcement, I thought, underperformed a little. He, he, he has not had a real tough general election, so he's comfortable in the Republican primary, which is a big asset, but he's not crisp and sharp yet. He, he's not ready. Now, very few people when they start are ready, so he's got room to improve. Now, in Iowa, that evangelical vote is big. Might be diluted a little if we have that crossover, but it's big. The problem is if you do 150% the pure evangelical in the primary, you get to be Mike Huckabee or Rick Santorum, and you have one great victory night, and then you roll into New Hampshire and beyond. It's pretty tough. But if he can take a, a note from George W. Bush and do evangelical friendly and uplifter and more, I think he has a formula to break through. Nikki Haley's out there pounding away. She her stump's getting good reviews. She's doing the work. She's generational. You know, I'm not a big fan, but I can see the possibilities there. Now, this cooked FEC report she just did that shows only five million bucks <laughs> got into her account, of which only four million is there in cash, give or take. That is a bad sign because that can't fund what she needs to do. So I'm really going to be curious how the next hundred days go for her in fundraising. In Iowa, you don't hear the trashing of DeSantis you hear from the donor class. You know, they're always trying to trying to bet the commodity market of politics based on national chatter. Still a lot of interest in him. Gives you the Trump war. It, you know, the, it's the old Miller Lite thing. Tastes great, less filling. Um, you get Trump light there that might be better at winning. So they smell, they hear the punditry, but he, he's going to have a shot there. Uh, and we don't know about a Youngkin or, or somebody else. Uh, I think one of the big tests in the end will be who can be strong in handling the inevitable Trump 
you know, people are talking. Young Kin, Chinese name, could be a robot. That's what I'm hearing. Um, and and because they've never dealt with that in their careers before. So the the Iowans would tell you it's wide open. Trump's hobbled, but will one of these people rise to the opportunity? That's what the obstacle course of the caucus, and not just in Polk County, where Scott, I have to say, killed the Lincoln Day there. But I want to see how he does out west, and I want to see if he falls for the Faustian deal to be the Mike Huckabee. J. Mart, uh, a couple of things off of what Murphy just said. Uh, I uh, I was talking to another prominent Republican before, uh, even more prominent maybe than Mike Murphy, if that's possible. <laughs> before uh, we came, before we started this conversation, and Tim Scott's name came up there as well. Uh, he seems to be a guy who a lot of non-Trump Republicans want to believe could emerge. What's your assessment of him and his chances here? There's a lot of wish casting for DeSantis uh, among the broader kind of Republican primary electorate. But there's, I mean, the most acute wish casting uh, in the Republican Party is, yes, uh, the operatives and the lawmakers who are really close to the center and who like this, who like, like Scott a lot and they know him and they really see the opportunity with Scott in a general election that frankly they don't see with Trump or DeSantis, they would admit privately. Uh, and I think they, that they see Scott matching up against Biden, uh, well and Scott being appealing to the kind of center, center right voter that, that Trump lost in 20. Yeah. Well, obviously, I mean, we're, we're, we're talking around it. I don't think for any particular reason, but. It would sort of shake shake up the paradigm if uh, the Republican Party nominated an African American candidate for president, uh, yeah. As it would if they nominated a a a, a an Indian American yes. woman, yeah. Pure offense, yeah. There's no question about it that that's a huge part of uh, the appeal, and uh, you can't deny that it's in plain view. I also think though that it, it's also just the sort of implied contrast that that he offers to both Trump and DeSantis, which. I think a good chunk of the Republican professional class just has great misgivings about when it comes to their general election prospects. So, X, you're right, but I think it's that plus uh, the, the kind of uncertainty about Trump and DeSantis in the general election that a lot of the hacks are. You know, I wonder, given the environment, it'll be interesting to see how many, how the Republican Party divides up between the, the true believers and the pragmatists. And I don't know that we know the answer yet. The thing about Scott is he's got $22 million in the account. The hacks notice that in the hard money account. And he'll be able to show up in a Trump county, and he'll be able to beat Trump with the evangelicals who gave Trump a bit of a pass last time because they're going to smell the real thing and they smell winter on him. If he can perform, we don't know that yet. Great small room guy. We'll see how he does in the stage. And the operative world, he could be the, quote, smart choice. So there's a lot of building blocks on the floor, and we'll see what they build. But in some ways, he's got real potential there if there is a breakthrough window. I think one important element here is how big the field is, guys, by the time we get to Iowa. Because, you know, this really varies race to race. There are some cycles where a lot of candidates have dropped out by the time we get to Iowa. You know, you think about, you know, Bush in 2000 uh, was able to get, I think, like over 40% of the yep. vote uh, in Iowa because you had figures like Lamar Alexander, Elizabeth Dole, Dan Quayle 
already dropped out right, right, by the time right. of the caucus. Did. And you, since you, you only had like, you know, the Forbes, the Bowers, and the Keyses of the world still in the race. That's a very different scenario than we saw in 2008 uh, or even in 2012, 16. right? Where you still had a lot of viable candidates still in Iowa. And so I think that applies this time around because to most points, can Scott consolidate the evangelicals? Well, sure, it's a heck of a lot easier if Hanson's out of the race by right, then, right. Lisa Hutchins is out of the race by then, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Just quickly, one name we haven't brought up we should. Nobody in Iowa knows who he is, but I think he's the, the best political skills guy on the maybe list, which is uh, Governor Brian Kemp of Georgia. He knows how to swim in a Republican primary. He knows how to play the general election game. He's probably daunted by the finances. And if he's looking at Nikki's report, wow, four million cash, she's not going to make it to Labor Day unless something really happens for her. Um, if he entered and had resources, I think he would be a contender too. But if you're right, J Mart, if this is where the uh, year where the bundling world is going to pick somebody and they're yeah. souring on DeSantis, a lot of people will get starved off by the end of the summer when the race actually really begins in voter yeah. land. Yeah. yeah, I do think you're going to have a thinning. I think there's a dipping of toes in the water here, but I think people are going to make an assessment after the summer and you're going to get the real right. feel. And the good news, guys, are, are for the folks who are looking to get into a smaller race against Trump. And I, you know, a shameless plug here, I wrote this piece in early February after coming back from the RNC winter meeting, which was like a ghost town when it came to candidates. And it became really obvious that this was going to be a pretty damn small field. And we saw Pompeo last week say yep, he, he's yeah. not going to run. I think Kemp has basically said he's not going to young. It's still a possibility, but he wants to see how this all shakes out. Can Nikki survive financially? I think it's an open question. Is Pence ever going to get any traction? Does Christie take the plunge? I, I think it's totally possible that we're going to see really only five to six candidates, uh, viable candidates, on caucus day, you're a Vir you're a Virginia guy. Yes. yes. Now, Youngkin has now postponed any sort of consideration of this until after November. Yes. Wants to focus on his legislative races. What is your assessment of his thinking right now? Because that's that's fairly late. Yeah, uh, it really is, Axe. You know, look, I think he wants to take back control of the state senate. He wants to hold the state house. He, he sort of has that feather in his cap politically, and also. Just so policy-wise, he can get more done. Uh, but you're right, Axe. The timing is difficult. And it's, you know, it's, it's election day, right? It, this is not like a Labor Day or July 4th time frame we're talking about. Basically, takes you to mid-November where you're making a decision. That's pretty darn close to the start of yeah, the race. It now, it's easier for a guy like Duncan who can sell fund and his first big bundler uh, is his own checking account. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but that's still late in the game for anybody to get in. And he needs somebody to collapse. Guys, West Clark, Rick Perry, Deval Patrick, Michael Bloomberg, how many late candidates yeah. have come and flop? You know, exactly. yes. Sorry, yeah. he, he needs some big collapse where it looks like two yes. losers are battling and try to yes. be the shiny Pete Wilson late. But I totally agree with this. On paper, he's kind of interesting. But I think the, the, the bigger slugger, if he got in, would be Kemp. But uh, I think he may be daunted. We'll find out. Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. 
You know what, X? It is getting what? warmer here in L.A. We're through our 61-degree winter, and now yes. things are starting to heat up to the 70s. And I don't know about you, but, boy, it's good in the spring to spend time in nature with loved ones, enjoying longer days. But they all start with one key thing, a great night's sleep. I was wondering where you were going there. <laughs> they do, in fact. You want to wake up feeling rested and refreshed, and that requires the softest, most luxurious sheets you can get, and those are from Bull and Branch. Bull and Branch is the bedding expert making the highest quality sheets with incredible craftsmanship. Each sheet set is slow made for an unmatched softness with 100% traceable organic cotton that gets softer with every wash. You know, X, I got a, a bunch of these sheets fell off the truck, as we say in the radio or podcast game, and I use them. My wife loves them. I love them. They're really good, high quality. And by the way, same, 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 same. We have some fancy stuff, fancy names we can't mention here, maybe with a French accent, but these things are equal or better. So check them out. I am a Bull and Branch fan. Yeah. And listen, folks, if you uh, don't want to take it from us, you should know that Bull and Branch is hugely popular, a bestseller, and for good reason. They use only the highest quality, 100% organic cotton threads on earth. They feel buttery to the touch and super breathable, so they're perfect for both cooler and the warmer weather that Mike Murphy is about to endure. They are loved by millions of sleepers. You can feel the quality, which is the key to a sheet. They're so luxurious. They're even used by four U.S. presidents and over 10,000 raving reviews online. Bull and Branch sheets fit the deepest of mattresses and are labeled with top and bottom tags. So making your bed is easier than ever as if you ever make your bed, Murphy. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free guarantee with free shipping and returns on all U.S. order. So sleep better at night with Bull and Branch sheets. So get 15% big savings off your first order when you use promo code HACKS at bowlandbranch.com. That's bowlandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D-B-R-A-N-C-H.com, promo code HACKS. bowlandbranch.com, promo code HACKS. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Let's talk Biden real quick, because we talked about this last week. I suspect we're going to be talking about it some more, but we got J-Mart here, so I, I'd love him to weigh yep. in on this. And the question is, what is Biden up to? Why is he delayed? Originally, they talked about a first quarter announcement. Now it's it's put off. And, um, you know, there are some who the, the question is, is he rethinking and so on? Uh, maybe, but, uh, you know, if you were sitting over there, uh, you would say, you know what? Uh, as long as we can raise the money uh, and put together the organization that we need, uh, there is a real advantage in sort of shortening this race. And especially with Republicans sort of beating each other up and, and so on. I mean, there, there, there is a there is a logic to it. If if he decides, as we talked about last week, if he decides not to run in September, it kind of screws the party out of a campaign that the party would <laughs> yep. need. So he better be damn sure that he is going to run. 
But if he is going to run, uh, you know, not the it's not the dumbest thing in the world to sort of delay the uh, delay the campaign as long as possible. Yeah, I mean, both things can be true here. Actually, just to say that uh, you know th- there is an obvious upside to not giving the Republicans a target and buying more time and letting the Republicans fight it out while you look like the big like a president, uh, yeah, like the president yeah. of the state. It's also possible at the same time that. You also just don't want to make a decision. <laughs> no, which has been yeah. his habit. Yeah, and so that's a pretty handy fig leaf that, oh, no, it's not that he hasn't decided. It's that it's just not in our interest right now to enter the race. Well, okay, but has Biden decided? And look, I think only he knows that. Uh, but they did convey, the White House did, that April was going to be when they filed, that they wanted to do the same month that Biden himself announced him. In 2019, and the same month that Obama in 2011 filed his papers to run for re-election. And here we are in mid-April, and he hasn't done it yet. Um, and look, yes, of course, Trump got indicted. That's a big story. But I think it's also the fact that Biden has a history of this. He does not yeah, want to yeah. make a decision. Yeah. He does not want to say yes or no yet. And so instead, he's buying more time. That's you know? the big driver. It's the 400-pound gorilla doesn't want to go. But if I were there, I'd make... The, my usual contrarian, cranky argument, which is, look, we've done the president thing here for a while. We've had a tremendous, we can argue, record-setting bunch of achievements, and our numbers are crap. We have tried that. There's a Republican clown show going on. We should shift into drive. We should preempt a narrative that he can't remember when filing is, so they're delaying it while emergency doctors are involved. We should get in and swing. And we should start now because the, the the front porch White House strategy is what we've been doing for three years. And look at our numbers. We got to go out there and move them. We need a war. We're in 2023. What would that look like, Mike? Would you be running? Would you be running a full out media campaign now? What What would you be doing that he's not already doing? I would go out and have uh, have Biden brand him something and say it's going to uh, uh, no no subliminal QAnon Brandon thing implied there. Brand them. Uh, something bad but palatable, and I'd start picking fights with them, and I'd back it up with media in six or seven states, and I would grind on them because the Republican primary is going to become a bidding war of alienating suburban voters unless Scott really has elephant skin and knows how to dance right, uh, which I'm hoping, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, He may get there. So I, I would go out and stir the pot. I would say, the next election is the biggest thing in most of our lifetimes. Are we going to reverse all the past mistakes? Are we going to build on the progress? Are we going to have a president for all Americans? Are we going to turn the country over to extremists? I would pound and I'd whip my people into a war frenzy to show I can. You know, this data that shows a 25% plus of Democrats don't really want Biden. That's a problem. So I would engage. Uh, they don't have to invite that contrast because the contract is yeah, out there that's, every that's day. Right. That's right. It's it out there every day making itself known. If I see Biden in action, I'm less worried about his age and everything. Now, if he can't operate, they got fundamental problems all the way, and you know it's going to be really bad. The entire operating principle of this White House, and frankly, the entire modern Democratic Party, is to be the not Trump party. Okay, but like everything's geared around the other guys, and they want the focus to forever be on the other guys rather than them. So I think that goes to the heart of their 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 feeling right now. Of the more we can make this about the other guys than us, one more day, one more week, uh, we'll take it, you know? I think you're right when you say two things can be true. 
because, yeah. you know, I mean, I said a year ago that I didn't think Biden would make the decision, you know, quickly or announce the decision quickly because that's never, ever been, you know, he, it was, I think, September or October in 2016 where he took himself 15, out of the race. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 15, yeah. I still have gray hair from that, you know. Yeah. Well, at least you have hair, man. Be True. grateful for that. I'll just chip in one thing from Jurassic history here. In those circumstances where you think you've got all the cards, the strategy that wins the day in the room is always, let's wait, we're winning. I remember way back when George H.W. Bush's, uh, and I worked on that campaign, when his numbers were super high. They called a bunch of us into the White House, and they bragged about their 92% approval rating. And I peeped up from the end of the room and said, but jeepers, the economic numbers, the right track, wrong track are pretty bad. They're going to catch us. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. And my chair started moving by itself to the door. And that was the last meeting for me. Um, but it's easy to get comfortable in the White House. And I think it's my personal opinion. But the last time a year before the Iowa caucus, I said the front runner is not going to win. It was for this troublesome young uh, senator out of Illinois against the unstoppable quote unquote Clinton machine. I think Biden is in much a much weaker political position than they think he is. And yeah. so my my bias is always to go out and do something and use the calendar, not enjoy it. Yeah. I think their answer would be, and then we should move on, their answer would be, uh, we're going to go out and do things, uh, but we're just not going to do them under the banner of, uh, of candidate yet. We're going to do them under the banner of president. And uh, so we'll see how that works out more on more on this stuff uh, for sure down the line. So California, you have this situation uh, with Diane Feinstein, 89 years old. She was, she's, uh, her term expires in 2024. She recently announced she wasn't going to run. There have been questions about her capacities, frankly. And then at the beginning of this year, she, she uh, uh, came down with shingles. She's been out for several months. She's missed 50 some odd uh, votes already. And most importantly, she's been absent from the Judiciary Committee, so they can't pat, they can't uh, confirm judges, uh, which is a, uh, you know, number one priority for both the administration and the Democratic uh, Senate. She's stepped down from that committee temporarily, but now there's a question as to whether the Senate as a whole will allow them to replace her uh, uh, on the committee. All this caused a member of the Judiciary Committee, Amy Klobuchar, to uh, speak on the matter on Sunday. As for the long term, uh, many people have been out, as you know, for periods of time when they're sick and they have come back. Um, in this case, we are going to need her vote on the Senate floor eventually. We have things like the debt ceiling coming up. But I think what we need to do is take her at her word. She is recovering from shingles and make sure she comes back. If this goes on month after month after month, then she's going to have to make a decision with her family and her friends about what her future holds, because this isn't just about California. It's also about the nation. So, Murphy, you're a Californian, even though you don't like to admit it. <laughs> and I know you're a close observer of the California scene. There are all kinds of implications of this because pressure is mounting on her to quit. There's the federal and the state. The federal, I'll just quickly say, tough rocks. If you can't vote your senator, get a new one. Remember wheeling Pete Wilson in, doled it on a stretcher to get the vote. Uh, so some parliamentary trick uh, I'm not for. She she should get back or they, she should resign. Now, the primary thing. So 
there's a massive primary getting ready to happen between two members of Congress, three members of Congress, three members Barbara of Congress. Lee from the North, African-American candidate, strong progressive, Adam Schiff, known to cable TV viewers everywhere, a lot of money, decent base in Southern California, and fiery populist friend of progressives, Katie Porter. So they're about to slug it out in a huge primary. Most people think Schiff is the nominal front runner, but it's early. But if she quits, the whole thing could get short-circuited. It could all implode. So Adam Schiff right now, there are a bunch of empty liquor bottles rolling out of the campaign <laughs> RV, and same over at Katie Porterland because, Governor, I'll please you, what do you want to hear, Newsom said, well, I'll definitely appoint an African-American female if the seat opens up because, you know, that's that's who I am. And uh, the message received by the campaigns is, holy crap, if Diane resigns and the governor makes an appointment, it won't be one of us. So we want a caretaker. Well, caretakers occasionally like the pea soup in the Senate and the free haircuts, and they forget about the whole I'm not going to run again thing. So there's a lot of concern in the primary campaigns about the situation we're preparing for a big Democratic primary next year, maybe spinning out of control. Um, so anyway, a lot, on the other hand, they got a, a problem. The Republicans are not going to cut them any slack on this in, in DC. So, yeah. uh, this, and, and Diane is not in great shape. There've been a lot of press reports. I don't know about the shingles. I hope she makes a full recovery, but her mental acuity has been questioned because she is 89. Uh, and so there's been pressure to get her to resign before this and some insider frustration with Newsom for making the applause line declaration of who he's going to appoint rather than stand back and, and play it smart. So big mess, a lot of tension, see what happens. First of all, this is like one of these classic weird DC conventions in which people dance around what is sitting there in plain view. And in this case, that Senator Feinstein is not at the capacity that she used to be. And everybody right. who covers and works in politics uh, knows that. And it's been on display uh, in the Capitol, and she has memory issues. Um, and, you know, Democrats, including Chuck Schumer, saying, I talked to her, she's hoping to get back. I mean, Schumer, Schumer knows better, okay? Uh, he knows that even if she can get back physically, that uh, she she's not where she was. And it's not that we're picking on Feinstein. This is like a longstanding tradition in the Senate in which, um, because there's no term limits or, or age limits, you have senators who aren't capable to perform the job, who were there and are ultimately you know, forced to resign or just don't resign and basically can't fulfill their duties. There was right. a guy named Duke Thorpe who was called the 101st senator because he was Strom Thurmond's chief, chief of staff and effectively the South Carolina senior senator for, for a couple of years when, when, when Thurmond uh, was uh, at his very end. And so this is kind of an old D.C. story that we're seeing play out again. It's different now, though, because the narrow majority Democrats have, and they care a lot more now than they otherwise would uh, about a blue state safe seat because they can't confirm right. judges uh, without her there. Just re real fast, guys, on the, on the primary dynamic in California, uh, having talked to folks out there uh, in Democratic politics, uh, I think there's going to be enormous pressure uh, if Feinstein does resign on Newsom uh, to appoint somebody besides Barbara Lee. They, that Newsom can say, I'm fulfilling my pledge here, but it's not going to be with one of the active candidates. I just think uh, putting his thumb on the scale like that for a current candidate would, would invite a, a lot of anger among Democrats. Yeah. There was a London Breed rumor out there, the mayor of San Francisco, 
Uh, he's a Northern California guy. Secretary of State calls African American. Right. Yeah, she might be the caretaker choice, but again, you know, you make the caretaker handshake, and then you got a primary candidate. She's she's young. I don't think she'd be a caretaker. Well, no, the idea is she would say, "I'm going to serve out the term, and therefore give yeah, up yeah. my future as a condition of getting it." But <laughs> good luck. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys, we we got a little bit of time left here, and we got to play the music. So if you have a question for the hacks, all you got to do is email us at hacksontap at gmail.com. That is hacksontap at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spotify, all the places you can do ratings. We appreciate your support. Okay, question number one for Mr. Axelrod from Will. Do you have any thoughts on the 2023 elections this year? The off year. I'm particularly interested in the Kentucky governor's race. I think Andy Bashir is a real talent and has a future in national politics. Axe, what say you? Yeah, I agree, Will. I think he does. You know, you hear this stuff about, um, you know, the Democratic Party doesn't have a bench. If Biden didn't run, who would run? And all of this stuff. Democratic Party has a lot of talent. And I think this guy has a lot of talent. And we've seen a lot of them on TV because they've had a lot of you know disasters in his state uh, most recently a shooting that uh, a mass shooting and he always presents well so he's an intriguing character and a good politician he still has a tough state and he has to win that election most of the smart people there i know uh, think he has the edge the state attorney general daniel cameron is uh, one of the candidates kelly craft former ambassador uh, very well, uh, very wealthy, and so therefore well funded. Uh, they're duking it out, uh, but uh, you know I believe Bashir will win, and I think he will be in the future a player in national democratic politics. Jamar, you have any thoughts on him? The folks I talked to in Kentucky in both parties believe that he, he certainly has the advantage to win a uh, re-election, and uh, in, in part because. You know, like a lot of governor, I think he, he came out of COVID looking pretty damn well, and he's handled a series of crises, uh, both natural disasters, of course, the tornadoes that, that tore through Western Kentucky and this more recent mass shooting in Louisville uh, adroitly. And the, the case for firing him, which is always the challenge with incumbent governors, is, is just not that strong uh, at the moment. And, and he's proven they can defy the state's polarization uh, already. Uh, and win. So it's, I think it's, it's an away game for Republicans. Uh, and guys, one last thing. And we've seen this in Wisconsin and Chicago. As long as we're in the kind of post Trump, post Dobbs era, Democratic in slash liberal turnout in cities is just going to be strong. And I think in a place like Kentucky, where you need Louisville Knight and Lexington to win be, as, as, as a Democrat, he can count on those cities. Yeah, and what do you think? You think what do you think about him? Just in ten seconds, about a future national potential if he does win. I think easier to see that scenario in the Democratic Party of thirty years ago than twenty twenty four. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. Though they ought to look at him. The old formula is better than the new formula for them. I got one for you, Murphy. If Trump, this is from Ken. If Trump goes through the uh, to the RNC and isn't nominated, do you think he'll run as a new third party independent. And if he did, how badly might his MAGA party damage the Republican nominee and the party in the 2024 race? 
Couldn't he also then just run for president every election cycle in perpetual oh, Lord. campaign mode? I presume that there is some natural kind of limit <laughs> to 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 him as there is to <laughs> well H- Harold Stassen may hold the record, but I yeah. wouldn't bet against Trump to. The question for both you guys and you, Murphy, you take it, but Jmart pipe in. I I mean I think this is really part of the calculation of 2024. Is if Trump is for some reason not the nominee, is he going to rally behind the candidate of the Republican Party? Uh, I'm. I have real doubts about that. Oh, look, it is the great Democratic dream that he doesn't, and it may come true. Based on history, I mean, based on his personality. Right, and and wishing and hoping and, you know, everything else. I would say this. If Trump loses the nomination, he'll start to melt even faster. But he will want to play that role because he'll want the attention. And so the question is, after having become the biggest multi-time loser in American politics, what will he really have at the end? And will it be material? Will it be 5% or will it be 12? And so it's a huge problem. Dealing with a madman, it's hard to kind of game theory your way through it. So the only bet I'll make, if he, if he loses, he'll shrivel more. And I think his power will be curbed, but it could still be material. Jamar, you don't have to wither. You don't. You can. You can uh, <laughs> shrivel, or what was the word you used? Melt, shrivel. I used them all. I was both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it doesn't take much to throw a presidential race off kilter, does it? No, and I think the idea of Donald Trump standing at the Unity breakfast the next morning, <laughs> uh, sort of arm in arm with whoever the mob <laughs> and saying, "Go get him, champ." Uh, he's just it's completely <laughs> far fetched to be charitable about it. Uh, and it, it is, I think, the best case scenario is that he will grudgingly endorse the nominee and will limit his sniping from the sidelines to like three three tweets a week rather than 20. Uh, but no, I mean, he's just not going to be a team player. That's, the, that's, that's not who he is. And guys, I think the larger picture is here. There are some people in the party, not Mike Murphy, but there are some pessimists in the party who believe either Trump is the nominee and loses the general or he's not the nominee and torpedoes the general, whoever is. Mm-hmm. So wake me up in 2028 and 24 mm-hmm. is a lost cause for us. I'm mm-hmm. telling you, you hear that chatter out mm-hmm. there. It gets yeah. louder and louder every yeah. day that, that Trump leads the polls. Though there's a third scenario because it's always got to be about him. If it's a tight race and it looks like in the last 10 days the Republic's going to make it, he'll hop on the bandwagon to claim credit and he'll start behaving very well. Look, fair enough. Maybe, maybe. Oh, uh, he would love to say, "Without me, the guy never would have won." I'm with I'm with Jmart on this, but we'll find out. We're All right. Find we, out. Speaking of Jmart, yeah, go ahead, fire one off, Josh Jmart. Yes, uh, this is a related question. There has been a lot of recent buzz around the No Labels Group and the idea to launch a third party candidate as a moderate alternative yes. to Trump or Biden. What do you think it would take for a third party candidate to have a legitimate chance at winning a presidential election? Do you think it is realistic to accept? Uh, that this, this to accept this to ever happen in the near term future. I think there's two questions here. The first, on the face of it, is could a no labels candidate win the presidency? I think that's very difficult. But I think there's a second, more important question here, which is could the donor class become so frustrated with their 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 options? They don't like Biden. They believe he's become too liberal uh, and anti business, and also. The you know, would be a question mark in the second term. And they're resigned to Trump or a culture warrior like Trump winning the general. 
and they want a third option. And that's why I think this actually should be taken seriously. Less about winning the general and more about the amount of money from the donor class that center, center, right, that wants another option and their capacity to get somebody onto a ballot that could really transform the race. And look, Kirsten Sinema, Joe Manchin, Larry Hogan are the three names I've heard the most that you can see the billionaires, uh, oh, you know, rallying behind. And I think that's where this gets spicy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, but I think it's a terrible idea because in the end, all it'll do is split the anti-Trump vote if he's the nominee, which would give it life and hurt Trump. I mean, help Trump. Look, terrible idea. Real quick, can I throw in a very final question for me and Axe because I know we're out of time, but mm-hmm. this way we can overperform here. Jake wants to know, with all the 2024 campaigns starting to hire staff, have you ever worked for a candidate you came to despise and secretly hoped would lose? Jake, the answer is yes. Who? <laughs> oh. Who? Oh. No, actually, you can chime in eight or nine. Huh? Jake did. No, he didn't ask who, Jake. Yeah, no, we're just being responsive it. to the question. Despise is a strong word, but I've had candidates who... Uh, who uh, I came to believe shouldn't be elected. Yeah, yep, and, and yep. I basically I quit those campaigns. Yep, I've had one of those too. I've, I've had a couple, but I, I quit the big one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this is no fun. You guys are holding out on us here. Come Jake, on. I'll give you Murphy's cell phone and you can ask him who it was. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. J-Mart, great to see you. Jonathan Martin, follow great him to Politico, see you, smartest guy out there and always great to be with him. And Murphy, you're tied for the smartest guy out there and it's always good <laughs> to be with you. Well, read the bulwark today if you're an Iowa yes. nerd. And thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. X, we'll be talking soon. Thanks, guys. All right, brother. <laughs>